Welcome to Earth Matters. Today's edition, Come Together, Koalas in Crisis, was recorded on the lands of the Bunjalung in the New South Wales Northern Rivers and in Canberra, the lands of the Ngambri and Ngunnawal, and is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Beck Horridge. Our first guest on Earth Matters is long-term koala campaigner Sue Arnold from the New South Wales North Coast, coordinator of Animals for Australia. She calls for an urgent, focused unity of action. You know, we need a national protest over what's happening to our koalas. Later on in the show, Earth Matters, we'll hear from koala scientist Dr. Kerry Youngentub on the importance of saving habitat that is correctly assessed as the right habitat for koalas. Now, land clearing in, you know, old growth forests and mature habitat that have koala populations and healthy populations too is happening at a rate, you know, that's not sustainable. And if we keep doing it at the rate we are, those landscapes will be gone and that's really core koala habitat now. Despite unprecedented damage to forests and wildlife, New South Wales Deputy Premier John Barillaro overruled the Environment Protection Agency and determined that industrial-scale logging continues in New South Wales burnt and unburnt forests. Susanna Arnold reports on the extraordinary protections afforded the forestry industry by the government of Gladys Berejiklian. More than 62% of harvestable native forests were damaged in the catastrophic 2019 bushfires. According to the New South Wales government's own records, up to 10% of native hardwood forests were lost. Nearly 3 billion animals were killed or displaced, with about 8,000 koalas incinerated on the mid-north coast of New South Wales alone. Some 113 animal species were identified as the highest priorities for urgent management intervention. You may have heard the latest episode in the politicisation of koala protection. Changes to New South Wales land-clearing legislation meant to better protect koalas were last year rejected by the New South Wales Deputy Premier National Party, John Barillaro, when he threatened to split the Liberal National Coalition in New South Wales over the land clearing issue. Now the legislation is back before the New South Wales Parliament. But to appease the National Party, forestry and agricultural land have been excluded from the new land clearing laws. More legislation that the Nationals can accept will be drafted for forests and farmland soon, but it remains to be seen if the legislation is good enough for the koalas that need these places as their homes. My name is Sue Arnold and I am the coordinator of Australians for Animals, a charity which has been running for over 30 years, focused um, on the koala and the coastal forest environment as well as the marine environment. That's right. You've been an incredible campaigner for decades now, Sue Arnold. Do you still head up Australians for Animals? 
I most certainly do. And I'm also the founder of the California Great Well Coalition in the US. And I do write pretty well regularly for Independent Australia and also for Michael West Media. So, yes, I'm still pretty damn busy. Most of us know that the koalas are in crisis. And really, I'm asking you as a very veteran and well-versed campaigner, what's gone wrong here? Why haven't we saved koalas? It's just ridiculous. Look, we are living in a world which is drowning in corruption. And so if you think about it, we have extreme right-wing governments in this country. Morrison is a disaster. His environment minister, Susan Lee, is shocking. And all her previous, the previous environmental ministers federally are dreadful. Berejiklian, Palaszczuk, Marshall in South Australia. These people are running campaigns to ensure that our wildlife, not just the koalas, but that our wildlife goes extinct because the long-term plan is to have a population of 50 million people. And I have seen uh, the documentation which has come out of governments, which involves plans to citify from Sydney to the Queensland border and from the Queensland border up further along the Queensland coast. And what this actually means is that the coastal forest ecosystems, and the koala is an umbrella species for those ecosystems, will be destroyed so that there are massive urban communities that can be established. The farming country will be wiped out. And these people who are completely nuts because they don't have an environmental bone in their body will turn this country into a concrete desert. And the fact that we are losing the koala, I think, can be absolutely also shafted at the mainstream media, which is almost entirely owned by Murdoch and the banks. And what's really happening in this country, I can say this as a journalist, a professional journalist, is there's no one and nothing that holds these governments to account. Well, what about the electorate? I mean, and that's another thing. Being a uh, long-term campaigner myself, I'm getting a little bit annoyed. It just seems like the people never get what they want. People want koalas. People love koalas. People can see why we need biodiversity. Why aren't the politicians that we're paying representing us? Well, I think it needs to go further. I'm going to say why aren't the mainstream conservation groups also doing the same thing? So I have so many times attempted to persuade the major conservation groups that they need to hold combined press conferences, that they all need to come together, not only with themselves, but with the grassroots communities who are doing the hard yards. And they need to be holding press conferences. They need to be taking out full page ads in the newspapers, you know, instead of which, I mean, the ABC reported just last week that because of President Obama, $200 million came into this country, basically for koalas and for wildlife impacted by the fires. That $200 million would have acquired a lot of habitat. It probably would have enabled us to set up koala national parks. And Mm -hmm. so we've got a combination, you know, of organisations. We've got politicians who really only need to be voted in. That's the end of their relationship with their voters. We have major conservation groups who appear to be more interested in raising money than they are in coming together. We need to come together. Mm -hmm. And we've got Murdoch. And so this is a pretty deadly combination. And that's why people are feeling so dreadfully frustrated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what must the government do? 
Well, I think more to the point is what we need to do. You know, we are not seeing huge demonstrations in the streets. I'm not seeing any people marching in the cities. I'm not seeing anything, really, except people seem to be far more concerned with what's in their pockets. If we are going to change the situation, you know, there has got to be a collective coming together, not petitions. This means that those big groups need to take the lead. And, you know, I just need to say that we gathered the emails for every single grassroots group in South Australia, Victoria, Queensland and New South Wales. We emailed regularly quite a lot, every single one of them, and said, will you be prepared to come together in a joint coalition because with our collective numbers, we would have the power, the electoral power to make changes. And people don't want to. We've got a tribal community. And in this tribal community, there are dozens of control freaks and egomaniacs and what I call the know-it-all syndrome. It's astonishing how many conservationists do not understand what we're facing legally and the changes in the legislation and what they mean. And I have honestly come to the conclusion that the only backdrop, the only salvation we have are the grassroots groups who are fighting tooth and nail with so few funds to try and do what needs to be done. I don't have a lot of hope. I'm sorry, Beck. I wish I could say I did. But what is it going to take to get all these people off their backsides and actually do something? Um, okay, let's just draw breath for a moment. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. So let's just go through a scenario here let's just say that the scientists declare the koala extinct what happens next you know there'll be koalas in zoos there'll be koalas in wildlife hospitals and i just need to add to this that you know about eight years ago the international union for the conservation of nature declared the koala as one of the globally 10 most vulnerable species to climate change So, you know, people need to really remember that what happens to these species, what happens to every creature that goes extinct in nature, which keeps us alive, is going to happen to us. And so we really don't have any indication in this country that people are aware. And I'd say we are dealing with toxic individualism. We can see it in all the coastal towns where city refugees are flooding in. And they don't have any kind of environmental awareness. And I think it's going to take, I thought the bushfires would do it. Mm -hmm. But the bushfires have actually been the most wonderful money-making opportunity for so many people who've just hoarded the money and done nothing with it. And, you know, we really need, I think, a royal commission at the federal level and the New South Wales and Victorian and Queensland levels into what has gone wrong and why the governments have not saved the koala and what they've done with the money that they have allocated to research, research, research. We have the most serious situation in this country, Beck. As I mm-hmm. said, koalas are the umbrella species for coastal forest ecosystems. When we lose the koala, we are going to lose a huge amount of biodiversity. We'll lose gliders, birds. We'll lose the critters underneath the trees mm-hmm. and the Critters that, you know, keep the leaves healthy. We're losing the folivores. You know, the amount of biodiversity that we're losing in this country at a time when global scientists are warning that climate change and biodiversity loss is putting the entire 
planet at risk. And so I feel like I'm a voice in the wilderness. I've been an activist and a journalist for a very long time. And quite frankly, I'm really pissed off. I'm pissed off with the environment movement. I'm pissed off with the governments and I'm pissed off with the media. And all I can say is to anyone listening to this, if you want to do something to save koalas, get off your ass and do something. And where would be the first point of call you'd point them to? I would point them to their local media. I would organise delegations to their local state member of parliament and their state senators. I would suggest they start running um, marches in the streets. I would suggest they get hold of the big environment groups and tell them to get off their asses and start organising massive, massive marches through the cities mm-hmm. instead of leaving it to a few people to try and protest. You know, I mean, we need action. You know, we need a national protest over what's happening to our koalas. And you might ask me, well, why isn't Australians for Animals doing it? We're on the north coast. We're on the far north coast. It's impossible for us to organise marches in the city. And uh, we're in Byron Shire where currently nobody really cares about anything except trying to survive as the very mega wealthy move in here and take it over. I can hear your distress and um, I'm sharing it. That's why I called you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I do want to take the opportunity to thank you for your decades of work, without which we probably would have no hope at all on this issue. Thank you, Sue Arnold. Anything else? Yes, there is. There's two things. Look, it's really important that Forestry Corporation is exposed because they're targeting the primary koala habitats. And I think you've got other interviews that will deal with that. And I would just say, if anyone wants to keep up with what's going on, I do a very regular blog on our Facebook Koala Crisis page. It's a page that doesn't ask for funds. It's a page that just lets people know what's going on in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, and federally. And so if you want to keep up to date, please visit that page. Thanks, Beck. And believe me, I would like to share that thanks to me with the thousands of grassroots activists who have done so much. And believe me, I am so grateful for those people because they're the heroes. It's true. Thanks so much for sharing this time with Earth Matters and we'll get back to you down the track and find out what happened next. Thank you, Sue Arnold. I'm Beck Horridge. You're with Earth Matters. I am a koala, I sit up in my tree Look down upon the ground where my homeland used to be Where once were trees and bushland, I just see urban sprawl And it makes me wonder, what's the future of it all? People say we're cuddly, they say we are so cute Sleep most of the day Don't drive about in use Don't form any councils Or keep no vicious pets In fact the kind of animal It's easy to forget So goodbye to the bushland Goodbye to the trees Why won't anybody Come to rescue me If I were a kangaroo, I'd surely hop away But I'm just a koala, 
So in this tree I'll stay We are a national icon You'll see us on the flag Or as a curdly toy Or even on a badge And if things don't change dramatically Another thing that's true Is the only place you'll see us Is in your local zoo So goodbye to the bushland Goodbye to the trees Why won't anybody Come to rescue me If I were a kangaroo I'd surely hop away But I'm just a koala So in this tree I'll stay People need their homes We all know that is true And koalas in their trees Also need theirs too We must learn how to compromise Just learn how to share We'll show future generations That we simply didn't care So goodbye to the bushland Goodbye to the trees Why won't anybody Come to rescue me If I were a kangaroo I'd surely hop away But I'm just a koala So in this tree I'll stay So soft That was a song for the koala from Envirofolk by Dave Norman. Fired up by my conversation with Sue Arnold, I was wondering how we might revision our landscapes to accommodate the thriving survival of koalas. I rode my bike to the Australian National University to visit ecology and koala scientist Dr Kara Youngentob, a research fellow at the School of Biology. Dr Youngentob joins the consensus finding habitat loss to be the biggest obstacle to the koala's survival. Today we're looking at koalas and we're witnessing a lot of despair from our campaigners about what's happened in the black summer last year and just the you know the onset of development up and down the coast. How can we stop it? And I'm wondering, you know, how could we revision the landscape for koalas? Yeah, last last summer I was um, really something that I hope we don't see again for a long time, but I'm afraid that that might not be the case um, given climate change and what we're doing to our environment. But that's an area that we're very interested in looking at, how those impacts of things like fire and land clearing, how those affect koalas and populations, and ways that we might improve management to help improve their chance of, of staying with us longer. Do you think you could give a prescription to the local councils? Hey, you know, you want a koala-friendly town, this is what you need to do. Stop clearing koala habitat is probably a really good starting point. I realize that, you know, there is a need for development, but I think oftentimes that development comes without the recognition that it's coming at the cost of koala habitat and therefore steps aren't taken to provide appropriate offsets or in other ways to um, just recognize that cost appropriately. Could we grow our koala habitat back? Yes, I I think we absolutely could. And that's something that we are very interested in looking at because oftentimes people replant a forest or revegetate and they'll think about koala food tree species, but koalas don't think about tree species. They think about the nutritional quality if it has the right smell because it has the right nutrients and low enough levels of toxins. And that is something that goes beyond tree species. It's like a chemotype. So we need to think about not just planting the right species, but the right chemotype and 
good palatable forage that's not so palatable it's going to be over-browsed, but more consideration needs to be given to what koalas want rather than what we, we think they want. What about dog management? Do we really need to make some changes or are we going to be able to carry on this way? Absolutely. Um, feral dogs are a big issue for koalas and huge cause of mortality, particularly in farmlands as well as around urban areas. I already said it's you know just very sad and incredible that we haven't been able to really manage our koalas the way they need to be managed. What do you see as the main obstacles? There's dogs, urban development. Do you want to elaborate? What are the obstacles to preserving the, the wild koala? Right now, land clearing in you know old growth forests and mature habitat that have koala populations and healthy populations too is happening at a rate you know that's not sustainable and if we keep doing it at the rate we are those landscapes will be gone and that's really core koala habitat now so i think a key is identifying what our priorities are and then the best way to conserve habitat so it's it doesn't get continually cleared if what we want is to have koalas in the future um, and then being more smart about the development we do do to mi- minimize its impact and try to get, you know, real offsets, not not degraded land that we say is of the same quality of the land that's cleared. Do you think that's happened in the past? Do you think some of the offsets have been a bit like not really places where koalas really want to hang out and nothing to eat there? Yeah, absolutely. I think the current offset policy falls terribly short in terms of protecting actual koala habitat and, and saving like for like when development happens in good koala habitat. Is that a problem in the legislation? Do you have any idea? Yes, I think part of it is an issue with the legislation as well as a recognition of what koala habitat is and shortcomings in the current assessments for determining koala habitat quality. So if you don't know what the quality is, then, you know, there's a lot of gray areas around whether what you're saving is good or bad koala habitat. And people can get away with saying that it's fine because those parameters aren't prescribed very well in the existing legislation. What does a koala population need to continue into the future? They need trees and the right kinds of them. And that changes depending on where koalas live because the trees are different and the animals are different. So you need to look locally at the populations there and the tree species that they're using. And it's going to vary across the koala's range. It lives across a huge area in Australia and the forests that it lives in are very varied. So you need to take a local perspective on what the koalas are using and conserve those types of trees and those landscapes. We have uh, three realms of government in Australia. We've got the federal government and then we have our state governments. Then we also have our councils. Which part of government do you think is best fitted, suited to, to meet the needs of the koala? Or, you know, are all three of them really not doing their job? I think they all have a role to play in conserving the koala and working together to do that. I think some of the issues are that there haven't been really independent oversights at the council level in particular, because the people that are making decisions are also the ones that are responsible for making sure that the development happens and they in some way profit off of that. So there, you know, there does need to be some oversight. I think that needs to come from a higher level. Um, and then that needs to filter through where the actual on the ground work is done at the state and local level. So would you be targeting your state or federal government to oversee the councils? Well, I think state government overseeing the council and then federal government, you know, stepping in when 
um, there is some issue that it might be a significant impact and questions are raised about whether it is or isn't, I think then they can have an additional oversight on that. But I think it's important to say that we, we are not policymakers. Um, we are not legislators. We are not government. So we see this because we run into it in the process of helping people do assessments and we see where shortcomings happen and, and the effects that that have on populations. But really, our place is to understand the habitat of koalas, what koalas want, and then provide that advice. And then the people and the government decide whether to use that advice and what's important to them. And as a scientist, really, our role is not to advocate for a particular policy, even though sometimes that's very hard. Our job is to provide the information and the science that can guide that policy if they choose to use it, and hopefully they do. So what Sue Arnold was talking about was a strip coastal development basically all the way up and down the Australian coast. That's some of their best habitat too, is the same places that people want to be, unfortunately. Um, and it also gets good rainfall. And, you know, unlike the western part of their range, climate models predict that it's going to remain suitable habitat for longer because it does get more rainfall. And the I guess the sea mitigates the extreme temperatures. But that's exactly where people want to live. That was Dr. Carrie Youngentub a research fellow at the School of Biology, Australian National University. And here is an end note. Sad indeed. The Australian government recently officially acknowledged the extinction of 13 endemic species, including 12 mammals and the first reptile known to have been lost since European colonisation, the Christmas Island forest skink. The mammal extinctions are the desert beetong, the Nullumbor dwarf beetong, the Capricorn rabbit rat, the broad-cheeked hopping mouse, the liver plains striped bandicoot, the marl, the southeastern striped bandicoot, the Nullumbor barred bandicoot, the long-eared mouse, the blue-grey mouse, and the Percy Island flying fox, now extinct. You know, I'm suddenly longing to see these creatures. They sound amazing. I'm back Porridge. You have been listening to Earth Matters. This edition was produced for Radio 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, Wurundjeri country, and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. If you'd like to get in touch with the Earth Matters team, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook on Earth Matters 3CR Radio. And to listen to or to share editions of Earth Matters, you can find this and all the Earth Matters podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Look out for more from the Earth Matters team next week. I'm Beck Horridge. A song for the koala from Envirofolk by Dave Norman. In another few years, we could all be extinct. Now isn't that just something to make you see and think? From all of these statistics, they think that is for sure. You'll be part of the problem if you aren't part of the cure. So goodbye to the bushland, goodbye to the trees Why won't anybody come to rescue me? If I were a kangaroo, I'd surely hop away But I'm just a koala, so in this tree I'll stay 
Yeah, I'm just a koala, so in this tree I'll stay.